Hello everyone and welcome to this edition of the All The Anime Podcast being brought to you on Tuesday the 28th of April 2020. I am Jeremy Graves and I am joined as per usual by the one and only Mr. Andy Hanley. Hello everyone. How's it going Andy? Yeah, not bad. I'm I'm officially on holiday, so you just have to imagine me kind of on a beach with sunglasses, like sipping sangria or something, because that's all I can do because my holiday involves staying at home. I thought you were going to say because your your holiday involves just you playing Animal Crossing. That's what I imagined. No, well, I mean t- t- today today is a dark day because my my shop is being upgraded, so I, I have no access to the shop. So I'm I'm kind of a little bit at a, a loss because I, I can't turn in my items for for profit. And you know what 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 is Animal Crossing if not for making money? So totally unrelated, and this is almost me trying to give live commentary of what I'm seeing right now. On the building opposite where I live, there are three people walking on top of it, trying to keep six feet apart. (laughs) One of them's wearing a high-vis jacket looking at another building, and the other two are, like, desperately trying to, like, keep in line. I've got no idea what's going on here. Yeah, I I feel like, given that they've cancelled the Olympic, they should have just had some kind of alternate Olympic sport that is just like extreme social distancing of like, you know, finding, you know, on top of a, a mountain or something in some kind of precarious position, but you still have to keep six foot apart. And if you don't, you're immediately disqualified. <laughs> no one wins. <laughs> <laughs> that's, so so that's, you mentioned you've been on holiday, mate, as it were, for a few days now. Aside from pretending to be on the beach and stuff, been up to anything else interesting in particular? Uh, nothing too much, but I have uh, have been checking out a, a couple of things on on Netflix. Um, so the the main thing that I think a fair few people have been talking about, from what I've seen in the the Twitter sphere, is uh, there's a new Ghost in the Shell series, and that dropped at the the end of last week. So uh, I have watched all the the first twelve episodes of what will be a twenty four episode uh, series of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex twenty forty five, which is quite a mouthful of a name when I actually have to say it. <laughs> Indeed, and I've also watched some of that as well. And little spoiler for everyone, that is going to be the main topic of conversation for today, but more than likely. But before we get to that, I will do a quick reminder that if you are a new listener to the podcast, thank you very much for joining in. This is alltheanime.com's official podcast. We are the UK's largest independent distributor of Japanese animation, be it on home video, digital, and when the world eventually allows it again, in the cinema. Make sure you visit our website, alltheanime.com, where you can get information on our upcoming releases and special offers, including our current early bird pre-order offer on Studio Kara's first television anime production The Dragon Dentist we talked about that on the show on Friday we've got an entire episode devoted to The Dragon Dentist so if you want to learn more about it strongly encourage you to give that a listen we've had some great feedback on that show and people really really interested in checking it out It is going to be a Blu-ray and DVD limited collector's edition set that will be available. It comes with a 28-page booklet that's got information on characters, the world, an interview with the director, and some comments from some staff at Studio Kara as well. It will also come with a really cool poster of the key art. So make sure you head over to alltheanime.com and give that a look and see if you want to add it to your collection ahead of its release on the 8th of June. In terms of new products that are available now, the second season of Ajin is now available to add to your collection. It's available as a Blu-ray collector's edition set and available on standard DVD as well. Also available now, our alltheanime.com and zavi.com exclusive sets of Eureka 7, the complete series Blu-ray collection, and the Testament of Sister New Devil season 1 and 2 limited edition sets. Both of those are available to order right now from not only our all the anime, that's not what it was, all the anime.com online shop and zavi.com as well. 
So Andy, as you mentioned, there is a new Ghost in the Shell series on Netflix. I admittedly have only started watching it over the past couple of days, and I've watched, I think it's the first eight episodes at this point. But to sort of, let's do a little bit of a deep dive into Ghost in the Shell. Why not? Because we, it's not something we get to talk about often, because quite frankly, we don't have the license to it at Anime Limited. It is Manga Entertainment that has been releasing Ghost in the Shell in the past here in the UK. So whether they'll ultimately release this or not, heck knows. We, we're not privy to that information, but they have the track record of it. So Andy, just as, as a sort of broad question, what was your first experience with Ghost in the Shell that you recall? Yes, I mean, weirdly, my first experience with Ghost in the Shell was kind of also my first proper experience with anime. I mean, I think I've, I've talked about it on this uh, this show in the past, where um, I kind of it, it came off the, the back of the, the success of, of the Matrix when everyone suddenly blew up on that, and uh, I, I worked with a friend of mine who basically kept nagging me that I had to watch this thing called Ghost in the Shell, which I was vaguely aware of. Like I, I had friends who used to talk about anime like way back in the day and kind of knew the name and sort of, you know, I, I think I'd seen the, the key art, all that kind of stuff. Um, and he basically kept pestering me about how I had to watch it and how I'd really enjoy it until one day he got bored of pestering me and literally just like effectively threw the DVD at me and said, don't give me this back until you've watched it. So uh, I was, I, I was, I was, <laughs> I, I had no choice, but, but to, to watch Ghost in the Shell and just was kind of absolutely blown away by it, you know, as somebody who had not consumed any anime, you know, properly prior to that point beyond, you know, stuff like Transformers, et cetera, et cetera, stuff that's like co-productions. It was kind of my first sort of real anime experience and, you know, it, it changed everything for me. You know, I wouldn't be sat here now without it because, you know, I was just blown away by how it looked, by kind of the, the ideas it was putting forward, kind of, you know, the, the narrative of it. It was just something unlike anything I'd ever seen. And it was, you know, the, the start of, of something kind of really, really special for me. So uh, Ghost and Shell holds a very dear place in my heart as one of the things that kind of, you know, pushed me down the, the path that I've, I've continued to tread ever since. So that was the original Ghost in the Shell film then, correct? That is, yes, the OG Memory Oshi Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, that was that, that was my first experience of it as well, but mine pretty differs a fair amount from yours because you'll recall a couple of podcasts, I say a couple at this point, who knows how many it was because we've recorded so flippin' many the past month, but when we were talking about how we sort of first got into anime and I brought up like Dominion Tank Police and all that stuff and the old VHS tapes, on the tapes there were always some pre-roll trailers that Manga, had, that Manga Entertainment put on. There was always one for like maybe Dominion Tank Police, there was one for... It was probably Akira, in fairness, but then there was also a sort of compilation music video that was on there, which I maybe that's a subject we should get Jonathan Clemens to talk about next time we were able to get him on the show. But there was this sort of really cool music video, which was also partly how I ended up getting into rock and metal music as well, by a band called Celtic Frost. I think it was the song "The Heart Beneath." It, if you go, if you just YouTube it, you, you'll find it, everybody. It's a really awesome video, and I remember seeing that, and then after that, on one of the tapes was a trailer for Ghost in the Shell. And it, like you said, it's one of those things, when you see it, 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 it's so striking, it just catches you. And I always just thought, I need to see that. Like, where can I find that? And I tried to find the, the, the tape of it for ages, like in HMV and Woolworths, really showing my age now, and other places. But I just couldn't find it. And I don't know why. Then, <laughs> of all the random stories I can remember, Andy, don't ask me why I remember this. I just do. <laughs> But I was going with a couple of my of my mates, because I grew up in North London, in case I've not mentioned that before. And so what we would do every so often is we would go on like a day trip at the weekend to the Trocadero 
in central London. Now, I think the Trocadero is, well, obviously it's closed at the moment, but I think it's been closed for a while in this particular form. But there used to be like a big Sega Dome arcade in there. There used to be like some kind of mini fun fair in there as well. Some random shops and stuff. Really, really random stuff. But what there was near the Trocadero as well was the big Forbidden Planet shop on Shaftesbury Avenue, I think it was. Then there was also the big old school Oxford, Oxford Street HMV. That day, we had gone into that HMV, and I found Ghost in the Shell. Now, young Jeremy at this point was not probably of the BBFC age of 15. Was it? It is 15, the original Ghost in the Shell, uh, right? Yes, yeah, that sounds right. Actually, wait, what year was this? Do you know what? Actually, maybe I was 15 by that point. It might be something else where I was trying to think of a story where I had to basically try and lie to buy something. Don't do that, kids, unless you really want to try. That said, when you're a giant like me, you can get away with it. Um, anyway, that's a story for another day. But I remember I saw the tape and I instantly just grabbed it and went to the till and bought it. I vividly remember doing that because I was like, I, I just need to have this in my blooming collection. Then I ended up not actually watching it for about a week as dumb as that may sound, because I think I was just so excited I finally had it, I put it on my shelf and just didn't think about it. Which, it, it sounds really dumb to say that, but then when I did watch it, I was totally blown away by it, completely captivated by it. But the one thing I mainly remember about that Ghost of the Shell film is there was a lot of detail that just went right over my damn head. Yeah. Because at that, at that point, I, I'll be quite blunt, folks, I was probably a bit of a dim child at the best of times. And I just remember really not understanding a lot of what was being said, especially at the point when, like, there's the whole scene with the laughing man on, like, the medical table and stuff, and there's just so much exposition and deep diving going on. My brain, it just went, just basically went, nope, you're not taking this in. You won't. Don't even try. <laughs> and it wasn't until years later I could fully appreciate that. But as a whole, though, I loved Ghost in the Shell. And my favourite scene in the film, that there's a couple in particular, but... The one is where the Major is like in her cloaked suit and she's fighting the guy on kind of the waterway. Yes, yeah. That's, I, I yeah, that, that was easily one of my favourite just scenes of the entire film, that whole sequence. It's so damn good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you, you think back to that film, like how many iconic scenes it has. Like, I mean, the, the, the opening credits, you know, the whole kind of building effectively of, of kind of uh, Kizunagi's cybernetic body. Like, you know, I mean, that's iconic enough that what we're about to talk about, Sandlay Complex 2045 lifts it, you know, the live action film lifted it. Like I've seen other series, you know, parody it or use it in, in various ways. Yeah, like you say, that whole kind of fight in the, the alleyways, etc., is is fantastic. Obviously, the whole kind of like jumping off the building thing and everything around that is sort of, again, it's something that it feels like every Ghost in the Shell iteration has to do at some point. Um, yeah, like it's full of iconic moments. And I, I think, you know, I, I was much like you. I mean, I was 19, 20, I guess, when I first watched it. Um, and I think, you know, I... I feel like even now, like every time I watch that film, which admittedly isn't all that often, but, you know, I, I revisit it every every now and then. I feel like I always interrogate it on a slightly different level and feel like I get a little bit more out of it because it is a film you can just you can just luxuriate in the visuals of it and just be like, this is an amazing looking kind of thing and kind of the world building is amazing. And then, yeah, there, there are all the, the deeper kind of more philosophical levels that, that that film hits as well that you can kind of go back to and enjoy once you're sort of a, perhaps a, a bit more used to just the, the incredible look of it. 
The other thing that's interesting about Ghost in the Shell as well, just from a, a general cultural standpoint in the UK, and this is actually, in a way, going back to that story I mentioned about me and my mates going to the, to the Trocadero, because I've just been thinking about it. It would have been roughly... 1999 2000 when like that story occurred so when i was about 15 or so definitely but i vividly remember seeing posters for ghost in the shell on the northern line of the london underground i vividly remember like just seeing giant posters for ghost in the shell and i mean back then at the best of times posters that you may have seen on the underground you you probably get like the big disney films and stuff like that but you wouldn't see something as let's call it like it is andy as niche as that but it was at a point where it was something so unique that it did it that poster just stood out so much that that iconic key visual that everyone is familiar with of Ghost in the Shell in general. It just stood out so much and it is it just goes to show the power of that film. Yes, yeah, and I, I think, yeah, like the power of its imagery in particular, because yeah, I mean, like I said, even before I'd watched the film, like the, the two things I, w- I was aware of about Ghost in the Shell was kind of like the name in a general sense and that key visual and kind of, you know, what that looked like. And it was always one of those things that I'd always seen and be like, oh, that looks cool, and never kind of like gone beyond that. So yeah, like it definitely stands out. Like I can't really think of many other kind of anime key visuals it's like kind of that and akira are probably the two that are the sort of you know the, the most notable kind of real standout you know visuals that that people will kind of recall from from anime like maybe that and totoro is kind of like the third pillar of that yeah i mean maybe for sort of like when i was i say growing up like in that sort of time frame i was talking about maybe the street fighter 2 animated movie as well for a lot of people mm, yeah because that was kind of in that same ballpark or that time period at the very least when it got a uk release also another tape that I bought in Woolworths, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is just going to be the Woolworths reminiscing podcast. Why not? But um, but yeah, so after that then, like, I'm trying to remember the actual chronology of when all the Ghost in the Shell projects came out. What was the next thing that came out in the Ghost in the Shell timeline, technically? Um, so I think Innocence came out before Standalone Complex, if I recall. So I think it was kind of like the first two films. Um, I'm trying to remember what year uh, Innocence was. I think that was 2004. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I definitely remember kind of watching that. I, I think I must have watched that before Standalone Complex came along, because I'm pretty sure by that point I was kind of deeply entwined enough that, you know, as soon as that came a, came around and was available, then I, I kind of nabbed it, and then... Oh, no, actually, Standalone Complex was 2002, so that was actually first. Okay. You see, it's funny you mention that, because I, for some reason, I had it in my brain that it feels like Ghost in the Shell 2 came out after, because I... Uh, uh, truth be told, I... I actually don't think I've seen Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence. I think I own like two or three copies of it, but I don't think I've actually watched it. I don't know why. It's just one of those things where I think just almost through cultural osmosis of certain parts of the film, I feel like I've watched it. But for some reason, I had a feeling that Ghost in the Shell 2 came out after Gitsack, the, the original first season. Because... Yeah. Just because I always felt... I remember thinking... It may have even been like an old MCM, maybe when I was just, you know... A, someone just attending the event and stopping my manga's stand and seeing there was a Ghost in the Shell 2. And I'm just thinking, why is it Ghost in the Shell 2 when there's standalone complex? Not understanding how different universes and stuff like that work <laughs> at that point. So yeah, yeah. That, that, that actually adds up in my brain that that, that Git Sack Season 1 came out before 2, at least in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think those are, those are the Japanese dates. So yeah, like I guess the, it sort of makes me realise how... 
how kind of old like HDTV has been because I remember kind of Ghost in the Shell being one of the first sort of uh, standalone complex being like one of the first kind of HDTV anime broadcasts and kind of everybody kind of you know being excited about that which is, is I think why I had it pegged later than it, it was um, but yeah like it's kind of crazy like because in- innocence feels like it was a lot longer ago than that to me and standalone complex still feels relatively fresh to me so i think i must have i must have not watched standalone complex until a fair while after it came out i mean obviously you know this was the days before streaming so i think even when i did get to watch it the first time around was probably fan subbed to be quite honest so uh so yeah that's but maybe even, even the individual dvds released though andy even those were like multiple parts i think the first season was like seven dvds because i bought all of them Yes, yeah, I, I, until quite recently, yeah, I, I had all of those in my collection. I think I, I replaced them with like the, the thin pack versions that came out at some point further down the line. Mm. In fact, you know what else I remember getting? I think, why do I remember details like this? It was a Play.com exclusive. Uh, Play.com's now Rakuten, isn't it, I think? Uh, yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, so but at the time it was Play.com. I remember there being, like with Volume 7 of Ghost in a Shell Standalone Complex, there was like a big metal tin that would come with it, so you could put the entire show in there. Yes, yeah, I do recall that. And in fact, I think they did one for season two as well, actually, because I definitely have both of them somewhere in storage. But I remember being determined to get hold of that that Tim. But yeah, and like, you know, the, the days of, you know, there being like seven DVDs for the entire 24 episodes or however many it was of season one, like that was a long wait between volumes as well. Like I know sometimes the wait for additional volumes of stuff can be quite painful for some people, us included, depending on the nature of the product. But that was a time where, there, like you said, there wasn't necessarily an alternative. You just had to wait. There wasn't an option. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, certainly that uh, that series didn't stream or, or kind of simulcast back in the day because that was, you know, just a, a figment of people's imagination. You know, you you couldn't just uh, you couldn't just you know sign up to a legitimate service and, and stream stuff. You know, you either went and found it via more nefarious end, or yeah, you you sat it out and waited for the DVDs. Yeah, but that that first season as a whole as well, I, I truth be told, I don't think I've actually ever gone back and rewatched it all. I'm sure I've rewatched parts of it, but again, I think it, it's that thing like I was talking about with Ghost in the Shell too. I think because I've s- just seen so many bits and bobs of it, be it online or just in mentioned in general, I just feel like I've watched it again more recently. But I actually really do need to go back and watch it because I've not watched it in freaking forever, probably since I first watched the entire thing. But I yeah. do. Rem- I do remember enjoying that first season, but again, Jeremy having a simpler brain didn't necessarily get everything. But particularly, I want to say it was either on... I don't think it was episode three. It may have been on volume three, but there was definitely an episode where it was literally just you in a chat room for 25 minutes, and I think that broke my brain. <laughs> yes, yeah, I, I do recall that episode being kind of like infamous at, at, its, at the time. But uh, yeah, like I was... I, I sort of remember... If, kind of going into to watch that being kind of skeptical like having watched the two ghost in the shell movies of being like well how do you make it like a tv series out of this like how do you take those themes and do something interesting with them and i, I remember being really really surprised and impressed with kind of the breadth of of things that it managed to cover like i mean the the whole standalone complex setup of those two seasons is really smart because it gives you a big overarching story with kind of like, you know, a, a big sort of end goal of, of some major thing that's going to go on. But it also gave it a lot of breathing space to to just investigate kind of side stories within that world and just particular topics that were 
of interest and you know things that that were were kind of interesting to explore and it gave it opportunities to to have those little kind of 20 minute segments effectively to do that within the wider framework of you know some some big picture investigation that was going on. Um, and I think I, I really appreciated the series doing that because they could probably have made it into just like a, a shorter, like, hey, here's the story for it, um, rather than kind of, you know, going in all the directions that it did. But I think it really kind of benefited having that ability to really explore the world properly. Yeah, definitely. And do you recall... Because I know you said obviously you enjoyed it overall in the way it set up everything, but did you really enjoy that first season? Yes, yeah. Like I mean, I've, I'm I'm still very much torn on my like preferences between like that and and second gig, the second season in terms of which is better. I I think probably the first one shades it for me, but yeah, like it was very much everything that I really wanted from Ghost in the Shell, but like you know a, a full like 26 episodes worth of it, and it's like fantastic. This is this is catnip to me. This is exactly what I want. Yeah, I think when it comes to which I preferred, and again, I haven't rewatched the first season in ages. I don't think I've even rewatched the second season freaking forever either. These are all things on my to do list for when I eventually take some time off, everybody, and I'm not playing Final Fantasy for a while. Um, but I seem to recall that I very much favoured the second season over the first. I don't remember what exactly it was, but I feel like the second season, I connected with it a heck of a lot more than that first season. It may have just been because, you know, maybe I just matured a bit more and got it quote-unquote, more. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the second season, it kind of has bigger stakes. I mean, I, I think the thing I, I enjoyed the most about it is that it's it's kind of big picture story. The stakes get really high in that, so there's a real kind of good tension to it that it's, you know, it's not a kind of... Uh, a problem that can be brushed off like it's a it's a far more kind of intractable problem and i think i think that was kind of the thing that i really enjoyed about that but uh i don't know the first season has really good kind of ideas and story beats and i, I think it maybe has some of the better standalone episodes which is maybe why i saw tend slightly towards it but it's kind of you know it's, it's a bit like picking your favorite child at this point because you know they're, they're both great Oh, definitely. But then, obviously, after those two seasons, we did then get the, I guess, follow-up movie? Because I think it is a follow-up of, um, what was the full title? Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex, Solid State Society. <laughs> yes, indeed. Which I also really, really liked. Like, I feel like some people are a little bit more lukewarm on it, but I remember like being really impressed by that as well. Like I thought it was really, really strong. Yeah, m- my... The first thing that comes to my brain is it did feel like it was retreading old ground at points. Mm. That's the first thing that comes to mind. I seem to recall, I think it felt like it was another retread of the Laughing Man story, but I don't remember. Because again, I should re-watch all this stuff. As much as I love it and I clearly have an aberration for it, I just I haven't gone back and rewatched it. This is making me realise how much I blooming mom need to. But the first time I watched that... Oh God, this is going to date me now. I actually watched it at an MCM Comic Con because Manga did a screening of it and it was, I remember it was actually Jerome from Manga who introduced the screening. There was what I would best describe as an all right sized TV in there and he popped the DVD in. He told us all what we were about to watch. He hit play and then he left and then we were five minutes into the film and then Tycho drumming started. <laughs> yeah, I mean that 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 was the kind of the, the quintessential MCM experience uh, for for quite a while, where you'd go to to see some kind of important panel or screening or something, and then the Taiko drumming would start. 
Do you know what, actually, speaking, if it's Taiko drumming that comes to mind, it may have even been the one-time Japan Expo event that was held at XL. Oh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's just, I, I recall, I'm pretty sure we've been on panels where we've had to fight with Taiko drumming. Like, it is just, it's just indelibly etched into my brain that at some point <laughs> drumming will break out. Uh, but yeah, but I, I, like I say, despite that, that being the first thing I remember about Solid State Society, even though I've not watched it in forever, I do still remember enjoying it just because it was more standalone complex. I wanted more. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was, it, it certainly it has some really good moments. And, and of course, the, the other thing we haven't mentioned all of standalone complex or all of these iterations that Yoko Kano soundtrack like absolutely oh, mate absolutely at the peak of her powers there like I know Cowboy Bebop etc etc but standalone complex is the Yoko Kano soundtrack for me like everything about that I just I, I will happily like lap up it's uh, definitely like soundtracks that I still kind of pick through and listen to on a regular basis yeah, it's so damn good, and and that's all about that. All adds to the world building. We've discussed it before. Yoko Kano soundtracks, like even you know, when we were talking about Escaflone, for example, like it, the soundtracks add so damn much, and perhaps in more powerful ways than you can actually realize until you go back and analyze it. But it's stuff like that that just does wonders for it. Yeah, yeah, for for sure, and yeah, like it's it, it just captures kind of everything about that world perfectly like yeah re- really good like opening and, and ending themes just like everything about it is just really pitch perfect mm. from there when it comes to the ghost in the shell timeline at some point through all that there was a ps2 game of ghost in the shell standalone complex i do seem to recall that <laughs> yes yeah i never never actually played that having have not had a, a ps2 Likewise. but yeah like that that definitely that definitely crops up in conversation quite often i feel yeah at least tramp i have to try and get hold of that at some point if we if we can ever get some live streaming or something going, Andy, maybe we should try and dig out dig out a copy of that and play that. That'd be a laugh. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, recently there was a there was a, a Ghost and Shell standalone complex PC game which didn't last very long. It was basically Wait, there like, was. Yeah, yeah, I, I I bought it. Like it was basically an online multiplayer game. Um, so it was just kind of like it was kind of like you know Call of Duty esque online, just you know first person shooter you know online multiplayer but they had it laid with you know you could pick all, all of your your favorite characters apart from the tachikoma um and you know they had they had a whole bunch of like clips from the series that, that they injected into it and so on and so forth but yeah it didn't last very long then they took the servers down so i i think i bought it and never actually got as far as playing it myself um because yeah it lasted about a year at best and i, I never actually got around to it I remember nothing of that, lit- literally. Yeah, which is why I shut down so quickly, because nobody paid it any attention. <laughs> so when it comes to the Ghost in the Shell sort of k- timeline or canon after that, what came next? Was it Ghost in the Shell Arise? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think Arise would have been the, the next thing uh, along after that. Yeah, so that was the, what was it? It was four OVAs, then there was the other OVA, which has never actually got a UK release. I want to say it's called Pyrophoric Cult? Yeah, that's the one. Which you can see on Funimation now, everybody, if you... Oh, God, hang on, let me think about this. If you watch Ghost in the Shell Arise Alternative Architecture, which is... Oh, God, I'm opening myself up to a can of worms now. They condense the o- each OVA into two parts, and two of those parts are Pyrophoric Cult. But the thing mm. I remember most of all being random about that, Andy, is that I think they aired Pyrophoric Cult first 
then went back to the first OVA and then the second, third, and fourth because it was to tie in with the movie which followed on from that, which was just called Ghost in the Shell, the new movie or something like that. Yes, yeah, it's, it's one of those kind of weird things where, yeah, like, you know, the, the, the Japanese release schedule for promoting these things, especially when they start out as OVAs and they get a TV broadcast where they kind of stitch things together and, and change things around. And, uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, Arise was a weird one. Like, it was a very... It was a very variable kind of experience for me. Like I was, I was excited that there's going to be more Ghost in the Shell, and it had some really good ideas and some really good story arcs, but it also had some decidedly less good ones. Um, and to be honest, I think the highlight of, of the Arise kind of timeline, if you like, was actually the new movie. Like that was actually a really good Ghost in the Shell film. Like it. It took on some interesting ideas that the franchise hadn't really dug into before, but was kind of like almost kind of like a really obvious thing to to discuss that the Ghost of the Shell never went into. Kind of the, the whole idea of you know, okay, you're in an android body now, you're kind of beholden to a company is still kind of offering you upgrades and the ability to to fix your body. So you know, there is this whole idea of this kind of like planned obsolescence. Like you you don't necessarily die as an android, but you are just going to waste away at some point because nobody's going to make the parts for you anymore. And there's some really interesting stuff that gets explored in that film like i I think i've only actually watched it the once because it was screened at scotland loves anime um i've never actually gone back and rewatched it but i do mean to because it's uh it was a really interesting film yeah i don't think i've actually seen it there's a pattern here isn't there like much as i love ghost in the shell i clearly either haven't watched a lot of it in quite a while or i haven't seen it but yeah i i i actually really enjoyed arise just because it felt like something it felt like a fresh coat of paint to me and while all of it didn't maybe necessarily gel with me to begin with, I did overall enjoy the experience. I still just ultimately, like probably most other people, just wanted more standalone complex. Yeah, That's really what everybody wanted, but we weren't clearly weren't going to get it. So, But the fact we got this, I tried to think of it as we've got more Ghost in the Shell rather than, being, rather than there being no more Ghost in the Shell. So I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there was a weird kind of always state of mind where people just wanted... Anything that didn't have the the standalone complex name attached to it was automatically going to be kind of looked down upon as like what why are you doing this and I, I think that probably that probably meant there was a bit of an unfair reception for uh, for that for Arise um, and yeah like it was it was I think it was a series that got more comfortable with itself as it went on like I, I sort of recall the first one being kind of the first OVA as it was then being kind of a disappointment and it slowly kind of managed to build itself up and kind of find confidence in itself because I, I also recall the first episode of, of Arise spending way too much time paying homage to Ghost in the Shell like it, it, it kept trying to recreate those iconic moments again kind of as I mentioned the whole jumping off a rooftop in camouflage thing, it seemed like it felt like it had to do that. It had to have, oh, you know, Kusanagi fights a tank and her arm comes off kind of thing. Like, it it seemed like it had to... It, it felt like it had to have all those kind of greatest hits of Ghost in the Shell, where actually it didn't need to do any of those things at all, which I, I think is another good thing about Standalone Complex, is that it was very much interesting. Like, okay, these characters are interesting, this world is interesting. It kind of doesn't matter if you haven't watched Ghost in the Shell before, you know, this is this is just like a really interesting place and point in time to explore. Yeah, and obviously we we've been focusing mainly on kind of the the anime perspective timeline of what has come out 
in the form of Ghost in the Shell. But there has been other media that has come out. There was, a, I want to say it was a couple of years ago at this point, there was sort of the, the re-release slash reprint of the, the old school graphic novels, manga, quote yes. unquote, whichever way you want to phrase it, of Ghost in the Shell, which I think I bought all of them on Comixology and they look freaking great. And then yeah. there's also a standalone complex manga, I want to say. And there, obviously there was the live action Scarlett Johansson film as well. Yes, yeah, I, I seem to recall the standalone complex manga not getting very good reviews back in the day, but yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to, to um, own the, uh, the the rather nice uh, hardback editions of the, the Ghost in the Shell reprints that they did. Uh, I think it was Kadansha. Um and I, I must admit I've not finished reading through all of them. I should really get back to that because it's it's kind of crazy, like reading those. Like the the world of Ghost in the Shell, as portrayed in that manga, is very, very different to pretty much all the anime adaptations. Like, Kusanagi's character is is markedly different. Um, just the whole kind of, you know, the broad strokes are there, but, like, there's a very different tone to a lot of uh, a lot of that that source material than what kind of like og ended up kind of pulling into ghost of the shell that has sort of become almost a de facto for what people think of when they they think about ghost in the shell it is kind of crazy to see what a departure it is in some ways yeah in some ways you could argue it to like some films in the marvel cinematic universe where some people have become so attached to the actors and the characters of certain marvel characters portrayed in those films that when they go and read the comics, it just feels totally alien. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like it was, uh, I think it is probably why kind of like I haven't finished reading through the manga because it's like, yeah, it's kind of, I mean, A, it's quite, you know, verbose and, and wordy. Like um, yeah, it has a lot of, uh, a lot of like little notes about, let, let me tell you all about this gun or all about this technology. <laughs> like, because I've been, uh, it's, it has some really great notes in it. And it's like, hey, I, I was reading about this the other day and let me, I'm just, I know this is a manga, but I just want to write this kind of paragraph at the bottom of this panel to tell tell you about this really rad thing that i read about and it's kind of really fascinating it's also like a stream of consciousness in places but yeah like it's it's kind of it's hard to see like motoko kusanagi in particular like it's such an iconic character sort of 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 anime to see kind of a different iteration of her where where she's way more of a jerk and kind of like you know goofs around a lot more is kind of weird it's a weird feeling kind of seeing that version of her yeah, it's almost very evocative of, I guess, when it was at a time when it was originally published. Because when I sort of looked at the character designs of that and you know, looked at some of the pages on the comicsology versions I bought, it really did feel like it was something from the time of like Dominion Tank Police. Mm, yeah, or those those old school. Uh, it's an easy way to encompass it, but those old school feeling shows, maybe like a Gunsmith Cat or a Bubblegum Crisis, those kind of old school feel. They that they're very much of their time in a positive way, and that's kind of what that that printed version of Ghost in the Shell, that universe, feels like to me. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course Ghost in the Shell and Dominion, as the original manga was, are, are both Mass Minishiro um, pieces. Yep. So, you know, yeah, the, the tone is, is very much kind of uh, there. But yeah, it's, it's very kind of fascinating like how those origins kind of, you know, got, got pulled into what has become such an iconic thing. Mm. And I guess the, the one last thing we'll touch on before we actually talk about the new Ghost in the Shell thing, because, you know, we've been going at this for a while now. What did, I guess, just as some overall general thoughts, what did you think of the live action film? Um, I didn't dislike it. Like, I mean, I, th- there is part of me that felt like they could have made a good film without the Ghost in the Shell name, and it would probably be more interesting and freer from, like, the shackles of being associated with Ghost in the Shell. Like, it felt like that was very much kind of 
a marketing-led decision almost of just like this is a good name to tie to this sci-fi film but actually like i think it would have worked better had i not been watching it thinking like okay this is this is ghost in the shell like it it, it did. I mean, visually, I really like that film. I think it, it has some really stunning visual stuff to it. Um, but story-wise, it was kind of a bit thin gruel for what I would expect from a Ghost in the Shell story. And I think that's where it kind of fell a little bit short for me. I really, really, really liked it. I think I, I would agree with you on the story front, that when I think back on it, yeah, it probably, it probably could have done a bit better with it and maybe the way they executed some parts of it. But the actual, if anything, if you're ever going to watch the film, guys, just watch it from a visual point of view. Because the way they realised this entire world of Ghost in the Shell in that live-action film, at point, Andy, it is absolutely effing incredible what they did. Yeah, yeah, it has a real good, like, I, I think even sort of beyond, you know, just the, the technical side of it, like, there is a really good visual aesthetic to that film. I mean, I, I ended up, you know, this, despite what I've just said about it, I ended up buying the, the UHD Blu-ray of it just because it is a really stunning looking film. And I just kind of wanted to own it in the highest quality possible. Um, and it's, you know, the kind of thing that I will happily stick on just to look at and be like, yeah, that's a really good piece of visual work there. And a fun tidbit for everybody, if you ever want another reason to go back and watch it, the actual Japanese dubbed version of the Ghost in the Shell film, I believe it brings back the voices of Kusanagi and Bato from the anime into the live-action film. Yes, yeah, I've never actually checked that out, but I, I do... I think, I, it's also an, I think it's also one of the language options on the UK release, if I remember correctly. Uh, yes, yes, it is, yeah. I have been meaning, like, the, the next time I watch it, I will probably do so with that... Uh... With that in mind, because yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that uh, how that feels, honestly. Yeah, so there's, there's a little tidbit for everybody. So Andy, from there we go to the latest incarnation of the Ghost in the Shell franchise. That being Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex 2045. Now, to begin with, because admittedly I, I again should have looked this up. How far after second gig is this set? Do we think is it ever um, like expressly mentioned what year second gig is set in? I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure it's at least given kind of like a, a, a basic sort of uh, time frame of when it takes place. I mean, the the impression that I got is that it's not like a million years later, but it's a significant chunk of time later. Like, I think maybe Standalone Complex is like in the 2030s or something. So I think there's maybe like a, a decade or so. He says desperately trying to like Google it. I don't see anybody like explicitly saying what year that that's... Uh, it's set in but it definitely like i mean the, the way 2045 sets up suggests that there's uh there's there's a solid chunk of time between that and anything that has happened before in that particular universe yeah and the way it sets it up as well now admittedly i should say everybody it's kind of the one detail we've not actually mentioned which shouldn't make much difference but it kind of it made me have to sort of change my viewing experience a bit because generally with ghost in the shell andy i've always watched it dubbed no real like dub elitist thing going on there just it's just how i watched it because mm. there was so much information to take in i just felt i could take it all in better and enjoy it more if i watched it dubbed yes yeah i've, I've seen i've seen that from a, a lot of people um because of course with things as they currently are yeah the, the dub was not completed for for 2045 so it's currently only available with with japanese audio um which is fine for me because yeah i've always watched it in the original japanese language but yeah there is there is a a 
slew of people who have basically said they're, they're going to wait for the English dub of this because, yeah, that that is that is the cast that they're used to at, at this point in time. Um, and I will just interject, I did manage to find it, Ghost and Shell Standalone Complex is set in 2030, or at least at its start. So it's basically 15 years later. Okay, well, there you go. And I guess in terms of what Get Sacked 2045 is about, just to kind of set the scene for people a little bit here, here is a, here is a sort of brief, brief synopsis to kind of give the indication here. In 2042, the big four world powers, America, the EU, Russia, China, instituted the concept of a sustainable war as a means to revitalize economies. In 2044, the global simultaneous default disrupted all economic transactions and devalued physical currency, leading to widespread unrest and civil war. By 2045, sustainable war has become a widespread reality. In that environment, the mercenary team Ghost, led by Major Makoto Kusanagi, makes a living and has fun going from conflict to conflict. Getting roped into an odd mission by an American intelligence leads to the discovery of a new threat. And this, in turn, leads to most members of Ghost being drawn back into Japan with the prospect of a reinstituted Section 9, where faces both familiar and new await. So Andy, that, that gives a good summary of some of the things to expect, builds the world of it, obviously leaving out some very pertinent details relating to the story, because we don't want to try and spoil too much in this as much as we can. But I think that that synopsis there sets the scene very well for where things are at. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's sort of... The, the, these first kind of uh, 12 episodes that, that are now on Netflix kind of do split down, almost down the middle. Like, you know, you have the first half of the series is very much kind of about, you know, we get to see the, the uh, what, what was Section 9 now kind of acting as a mercenary group and kind of rocking around uh, North America for the most part and uh, just doing doing whatever is required of them for, you know, the, the highest bidder effectively. And then uh, the second half is, for me, the way more kind of classic Ghost in the Shell standalone complex because, yeah, we get back to Japan, we get back into the, you know, the, the reconstitution of Section 9 and it kind of starts to get into the, the nitty-gritty of the world as it stands at that point. Like, the first half almost feels like it's kind of the intro of just like, hey, here's, here's a bunch of action stuff here's you know here's here's a bunch of visual spectacle and we'll talk about the visuals in a bit i guess um like to, to kind of kick things off and then it gets into a more thoughtful mode once you get beyond kind of those early episodes and once you get back into japan I I really, really, really liked the way that this began. Now, like I said, admittedly, realising this was only in Japanese with subtitles for now because of everything going on, it was a bit of a culture shock and it did almost make me like just go, oh, I kind of really want to watch it dubbed. But then I also really wanted to talk about this with you and I thought, you know what? I want to watch it in Japanese just to see what the experience is like. And I really freaking enjoyed it. I loved the setting of it being in America. I loved sort of the, the state of the world and where Team Ghost, as they're called, uh, as they're called then, sort of the, the, the standing and like the the camaraderie amongst them and whatnot. I really, really liked it. And I thought the way that they set the stakes up as well for sort of how basically how big of a job they could be in for is established very, very early on when they're just driving towards. I want to say it's Los Angeles, if I remember correctly. And then they're yes. basically just met by a bunch of mercenaries and big-ass trucks and giant rockets. And then you get some wonderful Ghost in the Shell things that occur that you've seen before, which you're like, 
yeah, yeah, I'm up for this. This is good to see the guys back together. A little bit of banter going on between Kusanagi and Basso. They're all talking about drinking beer. It's like, yeah, I'm game with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it was... I, I think it's kind of serviceable as, as an intro, as a reintroduction to those characters. But yeah, I, I think my kind of biggest issue is it like that that stuff was not really what I kind of come to Ghost in the Shell for. And so like it was kind of it wasn't really a hard slog because it was just like it was nice to see those characters again. But it was I was very much relieved once we kind of got back to like you know here here is section nine here is the more the more traditional standalone complex stuff because especially once you get into that second half of the series you get some actual good standalone episodes which are probably some of the best parts of of these first twelve episodes and uh, it all felt very surface level for that first six episodes like the whole idea of kind of sustainable war and i mean you know it it it, it goes full bore into the 1984 george orwell comparisons at some point um so all of that stuff is kind of interesting but the series doesn't really have a lot to say about a lot of that stuff and again i think the second half gets more interesting because it starts to talk about like the the economic state of affairs the impact it's had on certain parts of the populace and and that kind of thing in, in a way more in a way more subtle way, where it's like the first, that first episode in particular is just like, you know, it, it's very on the nose of it's like, oh, you know, some of these, these troublemakers are just college kids who are just like annoyed because they have student loans kind of things. It felt very much like a kind of rip from the headlines. Oh, we should talk about student debt because that's a thing now. And like, you know, there's a moment where Bato kind of, you know, is uh, not Bato, Atoksa is kind of a ends up kind of investigating somebody who's involved in some cryptocurrency thing, which is, I was like, oh, okay, like, what what, what do you want to say about, like, you know, cryptocurrency and, you know, the blockchain in 2045? And it doesn't really want to say anything. It's just like, it just name drops that as a buzzword and then just kind of gets on with something else. And that's kind of the stuff where I feel like it, it potentially missed some opportunities, whereas later in the series it seems to start actually kind of hitting those notes and and like asking some questions and interrogating the, the world state in, in a more interesting way. That's a, that's a fair point. I hadn't considered it like that. It's it's weird. I think as much as like I love all the technology and the world of Ghost in the Shell, I I really, really enjoy the character elements of Ghost in the Shell quite a bit. Which may be quite a weird thing to say, considering they're all basically robots. But at the same time, I just I, I love the character building of it. And like what you were saying about Togaso being on like an investigation about cryptocurrency, I loved that because it was just him getting to be a really good detective, which is something that you saw sort of at various points during the other two TV series, and I think Solid State Society as well, if I remember correctly. And just being able to see Togaso do that and just look like a badass doing it as well, which is great fun. Yeah, I mean, Togus's kind of state of play in this series is is probably one of the the more interesting bits because it's there are a few things uh, that I like about Stanley Complex 2045 in terms of how much it moves on the world. Like, the temptation is there, like, even though it's 15 years later, to just be like, oh, hey, here's all these things you remember, like, nothing has changed. Whereas one of the things I do like about this series is that it moves things on like, you know, and Togusa is kind of the centerpiece of that in terms of his kind of personal circumstances, like, especially like thinking back to, to, you know, his state of play in, in standalone complex and in the original movie, actually, like, you know, it really shifts things forward in, in a, a very notable and, and kind of noteworthy way. And I, I think some of the things that this series does best and ultimately kind of like the, 
the, the main thrust of the the complex part of the story is also a very big departure from the standard kind of discussion of, of Ghost in the Shell. Like, you know, Ghost in the Shell is about transhumanism. It's about, you know, at what point does a human stop being a, a human when you replace them with cybernetic parts? Does a human ever stop being a human as you replace them with cybernetic parts? Like, once your brain is all electronic, like, are you still the person you once were, etc., etc.? Like, that is kind of the, the fundamental thing that underpins all of Ghost in the Shell. And it's, it's kind of fascinating that 2045 moves that on a step further in, in a kind of an interesting way that how that will pan out is going to depend very much on the second batch of episodes, the second half of the series. But like, I'm really interested to see it moving things on in such a marked direction from what has always been the bread and butter of, of the franchise. Yeah. Episode six really, it really establishes where you are going to be heading to next in terms of what else there may be in the pipeline. The way it sort of breaks down across the episodes that I've seen, and you can you can speak to this far better than I can, Andy, given you've watched all 12 of them, but it's essentially about the first six episodes, which is, in, in essence, a one-contained arc that set, sets the scene for what the world is like, establishes the new threat that we mentioned in that synopsis a few minutes ago, also establishes a lot of the other players involved and and the state of the of the world from different points of view as well and how it's all ultimately going to come leading back to the major and whatnot. Then you get to like episode seven onwards and things like you say have sort of gone back more down a a familiar route. I'll say when it comes to the feel of the world and what's going on with everyone involved. And mm. I. I really, really liked the way they did that. Admittedly, one of the funniest things I found was I I am genuinely thought at one point we, I was watching a Matrix crossover because one of the main guys looks exactly like Agent Smith from the Matrix films and is then revealed to be called John Smith and I died laughing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can only imagine that that is deliberate. Like, it's just, it's just too... It's too close, like it's too uncanny to be anything other than some kind of weird like homage to the Matrix, which was in turn played a lot of homage to Ghost in the Shell. So yeah, I'm I'm totally I'm totally, you know, marking that one down as, as being very deliberate. That can't be an accident. But I really, really liked the way that those first six episodes established everything. And especially episode five is where I mean I was gonna say it's where like the arc climaxes, but it, honestly, it it carries on into episode six, just in ways you blooming do not expect. But the, the climax of where episode five ends up and what is going on at that point, I loved that entire build-up and the way all the just everything came together and the way it just kept escalating things. And you know, sometimes when you're watching something, you're like, "This cannot get much worse, can it?" In terms of the, the peril that people are facing, and then they just sort of managed to figure out a way to up the ante, and there was some insane stuff going on in that yeah yeah i mean i, I th there are one or two points like in that first half where i felt like it was kind of it, it felt it felt like a, a smarter kind of the, the usual modus operandi for kind of section nine would not have fallen into the traps that they fell into um and it, it did feel like there's some weird inconsistencies there i mean it's like the, there's one point where it becomes clear that kind of like oh their optical camouflage is really useful here and then literally 30 seconds later they don't use it in a situation where it would have solved everything so uh, there are a few points in that where i was kind of like i was being that guy that was like well actually if they did this then it would all have been fine um that, that kind of like you know kind of it took a little bit of the sheen off but like yeah there are there are some good 
there are some good moments in there and it's sort of it's kind of weirdly nice is not the word but it's sort of enjoyable to see that this is not a series where it's always just like oh you know your your usual heroes just come and save the day and fix everything like you know and, and it's, again i think it's something that standalone complex is quite good at doing like they're not section nine and the individuals within it like you know no matter what capacity they're working in are not infallible like they're not completely flawless they can screw things up they can make bad calls and it, i think it's always it always adds to this series and kind of standalone complex as a whole when that happens from time to time because it's like they are even in their cybernetic bodies they are only human and you know they're not always going to get it right and kind of magically save the day yeah, and I, I suppose from, from I, mean, I will make mention of it, but I don't want to spoil it for many people, Andy, but when, like I said, that first arc has ended and it's then sort of moving back to more familiar territory from around episode seven onwards, the first episode that they that, that, that they they gift to us, I'm going to say it that way, <laughs> is probably one of my most enjoyable Ghost in the Shell experiences I've ever watched. And it's for reasons I never found I never figured would be the reason it's fantastic. All I will say, people, is if you are a fan of Bato, you are going to freaking love episode seven for ways you would never imagine. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really, like, it was It was the first episode that really made me sit up and, and kind of take note, partly because, because that first half of the series up to that point is so self-contained. I was kind of... There was part of me that was kind of like complaining internally that they shouldn't be calling this standalone complex because we've not had any good standalone episodes. And then suddenly that comes along and you realize, oh, okay, we are actually doing this. We are going to have these standalone kind of side stories that, that, you know, maybe tie in some subtle ways into things, but they are also quite self-contained. And that was the first one that hit all of the notes of kind of that I would hope for from kind of a standalone complex series. You know, it, it did some things that were kind of unexpected and kind of refreshing in terms of the tone um but also like it, it, it did some really good kind of deep diving into you know as, as we kind of mentioned like in the the synopsis you know this is this is a world where you know the financial systems have basically screwed everybody over and it kind of it, it delves into that into some very personal and kind of interesting ways as this kind of reminder that, hey, you've got this global economy where people, you know, watch the graphs go up and down, et cetera, et cetera. But there's also, there's always like a personal kind of, uh, you know, a, a personal effect to those decisions and to those things that happen. And it was a really good kind of realization of that that I think was actually kind of really strong and, and did a lot to kind of build, build a part of the picture about the world as is in this series. Mm. And the other thing that was really cool as well, and this is going into episode 8 specifically now, again, trying to avoid spoilers as much as I can, is I like the way that, that little things that were mentioned during the first arc are then followed up. And then there, there has to be essentially some consequence or action taken for the for the personal feelings that are, that are given out or maybe from a decision that's been made. And that episode in particular focuses on, on Togusa. I'll sort of say that much. And again, just from a character development point of view, I thought it was fantastic viewing just to kind of establish where he is at as a person mm. and just get and getting him, I, I, I say getting him back into the fold, but as in getting him back into the fold in the context of the entire story, just getting involved in the story, the word I was trying to think of. I think that that just works brilliantly. And I, I, I genuinely can't wait to see the remainder of this first half of 2045. And I, I guess... To get your thoughts on that episode in particular, Andy, but also can you then sort of lead on to maybe where 
what what the state of play is come the end of this first half as like as an overall encompassing thing without any spoilers yeah yeah i mean that that takes for episode is is definitely a, another strong one i i really enjoyed also a really good uh, example of the series the series as a whole kind of setting up certain expectations around characters and then really kind of playing with that in some some really kind of uh really kind of enjoyable ways because that that episode has a, has a very definite moment where you kind of think like they're not going to do this, are they? And then they do it, and then it kind of there's there's another layer to it that kind of you know kind of subverts your expectations at that point. And it's a it's a really smartly kind of paced out and written episode that is is another highlight. Um, but yeah, I think that the series as a whole, like it's definitely. I mean, it, it as a warning, like the final episode as is currently available just leaves you on a massive cliffhanger like you oh, know no, don't don't say that <laughs> yeah like it's very much a like wait when when is the rest of this coming out again because like i definitely need to see where this goes like there's another big moment that's just kind of like oh okay this you know this could be a big deal um but yeah i think you know the the, the final few episodes of the first half perhaps in places get a little bit bogged down in, in, in certain ways, but like, it's definitely, it's building up what feels like a far more solid kind of ghost in the shell standalone complex story. Like there's definitely, I'm definitely interested in those broad strokes and kind of, you know, what they're, what the series ultimately has to say about it or what any resolution to this is, because I mean, I think it's a thing you can really dig down quite deep into and, there's potentially a lot for the series to say about it, especially as it kind of, you know, as mentioned, this is sort of a, a, a moving on from the traditional ideas of, of what standalone complex puts, of what Ghost in the Shell as a whole puts across. Um, and I'm really interested to see what the series has to say as much as what it has to do with the ideas that it's put forward. So yeah, like it's definitely, it's definitely got me on board. Like after a bit of a, a bit of a ropey start for me, like I'm really interested to see what it does. Um, and to see whether it can really kind of follow through and, and sort of, you know, stick the landing for, for some of the stuff that it's set up now. So one of the, the, the big talking points going into this show was the visual, just the visual look of it. The fact it is a CG show, like, entirely, because obviously Ghost of the Shell's got a lot of CG involved with it in general, but in the fact that it is pretty much, a, I, I think it is, Andy, just a complete CG production, correct? Yeah, mm-hmm, it is indeed, yeah. So, so the digital arts people may be familiar with from the the recent apple seed cg films of uh i say recent years i guess they've been kicking around for quite a while now themselves mm. so i guess i'll throw it to you first of all andy because i've sort of given my opinion on on how i'm totally fine with cg productions in general like it doesn't irk me as it were so i guess i'll, I'll throw the floor to you first of all how did you take to the visual style of this show um, on the positive side, I got used to it. Um, on the negative side, it, that doesn't mean it doesn't look awful. Um, like it, it looks, it's particularly weird for solar digital arts. Like those Appleseed films have have issues with their CG, but generally, like they look really kind of sharp and proficient, and kind of you know, the, on a technical level, they look really good. Whereas this series doesn't even particularly look good on a technical level. I mean, the, the sort of the harsh comeback that a lot of people had from the initial trailers were like, wait, this, I mean, having mentioned the PS2 game, like, wait, this looks like a PS2 game, which is is, is harsh. Like, it doesn't look 
that bad, but it does look like an old console game rather than, you know, whatever you say about, you know, even, you know, Polygon's output, Orange, other CG studios, like they've got, they've got a look and a style that at least feels modern, whereas this feels kind of archaic and at some point you kind of stop noticing it and, you know, especially once the story picks up, you can kind of like, you know, compartmentalize it, but I don't think it looks good. Um, and there are moments in this where it does look particularly kind of goofy and, and, and daft in, in ways that is clearly not trying to. Um, so yeah, that, that is the big disappointment to me, especially given that like the actual character designs are, are really strong. Like I really like, I mean, the, the character designs are from uh, Ilya Kushinov, who's also done character design on like birthday one land and a bunch of other stuff, like a, a well-known Russian artist that's sort of broken into the anime sphere. Um, look, look out for the character that is a spitting image of Ilya Kushinov, which I'm sure is also not an accident. Um, <laughs> and so I, I like the character designs and the broad strokes of it. And that there are moments that look good and work, but yeah, it is not, what I would call a, a, a good-looking show, quite honestly. It's definitely not the strongest output it could have been, but overall, I was totally fine with it, and I, I really liked it. I think the way I would try and de- describe it, because I know what you mean about sort of the way it looks and feels, I think the way is... When it comes to, say, the movement of characters, what's a, a lot of what CG animation has been able to do, especially in the past, like, five, ten years is has really been able to just sort of get the more natural feeling to the CG. So it doesn't feel like as much of a culture shock. There's no more like a lot of stilted movements, for example, whereas there are moments in this where it does feel very stilted. Mm. And I think that's something that doesn't that doesn't help itself, especially with someone who's perhaps, or p- perhaps to someone, I should say, who might be watching Ghost in the Shell for the first time. Hell, they may just jump into this for the first time or they don't watch CG animation. And that kind of feeling will not help to change people's perception of it. But yeah, but sorry, go on. Yeah, no, I was going to say that's that's absolutely fair. And uh, yeah, like it's one of the first things I noted. Things like uh, things that have kind of mostly been fixed in CGs, like walk cycles, like you know, watching characters walk and run, etc. We've kind of got to the point where there's a pretty decent base level of that and this felt uh, it, it certainly in places and perhaps as a whole felt like it dips below that, which was kind of a shame. Yeah, but but like I say, overall, I I really like the look of it. Uh, again, this isn't me just trying to be a supporter of CG anime or whatever, or trying to be a dissenting voice. I genuinely was totally fine with it. Places looked a bit ropey than others. On the whole, I liked it. But when it comes to the actual character designs, I agree. They all look really cool. The character design, which kind of kept sticking out to me most, but, uh, n- not in a negative way, but it just always felt a bit off in some way, is the Major's character look. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's kind of a weird thing because you know, given given her sort of status as, as like entirely cybernetic, it does give you a lot of kind of freedom to just go with whatever. Um, she does look a lot younger, I guess. It's it's probably the, the best way to put it in this series. But I don't know that was that was something that I kind of grew to be okay with. Like I actually kind of I kind of liked her character design as a whole, but it is quite jarring when you come from. I mean, again, especially if you follow the like the the timeline right the way through from like original Ghost and Shell Sandalin complex to uh, to arise in terms of how the major looks. Um, like this uh, this feels like another pretty sort of major, if you'll excuse the pun, departure. Yeah, I mean, like, one of the first things that came to my mind was, why does she look so damn short? 
Yeah, yeah, she's also... Look, that, I mean, that was one of the first things I thought of. And, you know, it's something I just sort of adjusted to once I sort of got past that initial shock. But that was literally the first thing I thought of. Like, she looks really short. Why? Yeah, I mean, like, hey, hey, when you've got a cybernetic body, maybe she's just banging her head on doors all the time. So, do you know what? Can you just take a couple of inches off the bottom? Like, that would be really helpful. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe it's a decision. I mean, when, when you're a cyborg, you know, you get, to, you get to choose how tall you are. So maybe she just decided, I want to see what it's like being a bit shorter. Like, have lower center of gravity. You know, maybe maybe it's it's a, you know, a fighting advantage. Like, I don't know, I'm, I'm racing my own Ghost and Shell fan fiction here. So Okay, yeah. actually, do you know what? I think in my brain, I may have actually just figured out why. <laughs> what's that so this might be like a very minor spoiler folks but it, uh, this is something that's actually said in the show we do get the appearance of the Tatch Comas who mm-hmm. I will say some of their dialogue is freaking fantastic yeah, some of the t- one liners yeah. they come out with are genuine proper laugh out loud moments and genuinely touching as well as they always are they're wonderful just like almost comedy relief but in a great way yeah but there is a line of dialogue that said when it comes to how big, like, the cockpits are now in the back of the Tachcomas. And they said, like, they've been rebuilt to, you know, adapt to the current, like, cybernetics of being smaller or something. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe Major got a remodel because of the Tachcoma build or something. Yeah, maybe. But then, then, then you think that you'd just have a really short batter as well. Just make him really, really tiny. <laughs> just Look, really... Andy, don't put holes in my logic, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just, I, I just want to see a really tiny batter now. <laughs> Someone make it happen. <laughs> Someone will. So yeah, folks. So there you go. There's a there's a heck of a lot of discussion on Ghost in the Shell for you. And yeah, you can watch Ghost in the Shell 2045, all 12 episodes of it on Netflix right now. And again, at the moment, it's currently just in Japanese with English subtitles. They there is definitely an English dub coming because there is an English dub trailer, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I believe it's. I, I, I'm not sure how far they got through with recording it, but obviously, like you know, everything kind of shutting down, put paid to them releasing the entire thing, and they're they're waiting till it's all available. So, so hopefully, they can can get that figured out soonish. Indeed. So the dub will be following on in due course. And Andy, before we wrap up, I know that you mentioned to me before we start recording that you had watched something else. Did you want to touch on that now, or did you want to save that for another time? Uh, we can save that for another time. I think we've had some some good good chatter here, so we can we can hear everybody's uh, thoughts on our thoughts on Ghost in the Shell. There you go. So there's a little tease for next time. I genuinely can't remember what you told me you watched either, so I genuinely <laughs> don't remember. So there you go, folks. There's a tease for for uh, for Friday. I guess we're doing our next show, right? Yes, indeed. Yep, so folks, we'll be back on Friday. We're going to be trying to watch a few bits and bobs of what is still airing at the moment, (laughs) at this point, I guess. Probably do a bit of a catch-up on that front. One thing I am going to try and do, Andy, following you mentioning it on the podcast last time when we talked about the various shows we were watching, I am going to try and watch at least a couple episodes of Ascendance of a Bookworm. Uh, yes, yeah, I, I saw some people were, were keen on, on hearing you talk about that, uh, as, I'm, as am I. So, uh, yeah, we can uh, if, if you find some time to watch some of that, I would be interested to hear your thoughts. That, that is the plan. As long as I'm not playing Final Fantasy VII for a bit, then we'll be absolutely fine on that. So, so, so you're not going to watch Sentence of the Book one, then? <laughs> I mean, hey, I watched, I watched a lot of Gitsack last night in preparation for the show today because I wanted to. And that sort of yeah, put down Final Fantasy VII for a while. So at the moment, if there's anything that's going to prevent me from playing Final Fantasy, it is anime. <laughs> Oh, that's no bad thing. Exactly right. I, I didn't mean to, that came across like a bad thing. It wasn't meant to, by the way. I'm not Keith, you know, who's just vehemently wanting to play Final Fantasy. <laughs> 
So on that note, folks, thank you very much for listening. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you visit our website, alltheanime.com. There you can get all the information on all of our upcoming releases and already available releases. Don't forget that our special pre-order offer on The Dragon Dentist is up until Thursday at our alltheanime.com online shop. You can get all the information there. And of course, if you want to hear us talk about Dragon Dentist in far more detail, make sure you check out the podcast from this past Friday, as that was our Dragon Dentist special. Mm. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed talking about that. Actually, that was that was a good podcast, if if I may say so myself. Yeah, we had some great feedback from it. I'm glad people really enjoyed it as well. And it was something different because it was a feature film we were talking about, essentially. So it was mm. kind of a weird sort of delineation, having to try and figure out the best way to do it. Yeah, indeed, it's, it's been nice seeing people excited about our release of it as well because it's a it's a little thing that's deserving of, of a decent collector's edition. So I uh, hope people will be uh, will be impressed by it. Indeed. And like we said, this Friday, it's going to be a a regular podcast, if I just phrase it that way. We might have another person on here. Not entirely sure yet, because it's getting a bit busy. I say at HQ, at home. You know what I mean? (laughs) But, but, you know, who knows? Things might change. But if things do change, folks, we'll make it known ahead of time. But from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Andy Hanley, we've been Team All The Anime, signing out. Have a nice day. Bye, everyone.